Hey friends, this is Josh Blair, and I'm the pastor of Central Valley Church, and this is our podcast. My prayer is that this message you hear today will encourage you and inspire you to walk closer with Jesus this week. If you want to stay connected with us, you can check out our website at cvcmadera.com, and there you'll find our Instagram and Facebook links, as well as our YouTube channel, Central Valley Church Madera. Thanks for listening. Are you guys ready for the Word of God today? Yeah. All right, so... I want you to bear with me. We're going to go a little longer today because I want to really teach because on the subject that we're going into, uh, I think there's a lot of confusion in, and I want to make sure that we as a church know what the Word of God says and what that looks like in our lives as followers of Jesus. So you're going to to stick with me? Are you going to stay with me? All right, don't zone out. Don't fall asleep because I'm liable to call you out. No, I've never done that, but maybe today. Maybe today. We're in our uh, series going through the book of Acts. And we've walked through chapter 1 together. We've concluded chapter 1 last week. We are beginning chapter 2 this week. But I want to go back to chapter 1 real quick, looking at verse 8, where Jesus tells his disciples before he ascends to the right hand of God to wait, because they were about to receive power when the Holy Spirit would come on them, and they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then Jesus ascends to the Father, the right hand of God, He leaves from Mount Olivet in a cloud, and then he tells them to wait for the outpouring, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit, would empower them. They would receive the power of the Holy Spirit on their lives to be witnesses, to be be people who carry the kingdom of God everywhere that they go. And so we see that, and as as you're turning with me, let's turn to Acts chapter 2. We're going to read the first few verses uh, and then we'll stop and get into it. If you have chapter 2, verse 1, say, I got it. If you're using your YouVersion Bible app on your phone or device, you can check that out. Go to events, click on, uh, click on more than events, and then you'll find Central Valley Church, and you have all the notes there as well. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly, say suddenly, There came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that it is a light to us, God, a lamp to our feet, a light to our path, Lord. It reveals to us who you are, your character, your nature, what you desire to do in the world, what you call us to do as your followers. We pray, Lord, that your word would come to life to us. Holy Spirit, open our ears to hear, open our eyes to see, and soften our hearts to receive everything that you have for us today. Help me to preach your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this passage of scripture, just in these first four verses, we see a lot happening that reveals to us the promise of the Father, what the promise of the Father looks like. It looks like the gift of the the Holy Spirit is a promise of the Father, a promise that God delivers. When God makes a promise, he always delivers on that promise. Do you believe that? And we read these passages of scripture, it shows us that the Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father was worth waiting on. So grateful that At day nine, they didn't give up and walk out of the building. They waited and they received this outpouring of the Holy Spirit and a powerful moving of the Spirit at that. We see the gift of the Holy Spirit comes as God wills, not necessarily according to our expectation. 
in this portion of scripture, we don't see them thinking, well, day seven, seven is the number of completion, so I guess he's not going to complete it, and I'm going to go somewhere else. God wasn't based specifically just on their expectation. We see that in scripture. We see that the gift of the Holy Spirit can be poured out not just on individuals, but it can be poured out corporately on a group of people. We see that in scripture, not only in Acts chapter 2, but we see it in Acts chapter 4. We see it in Acts chapter 10 as well. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is often given as God deals with the flesh and, and the process of dying to self. That period of waiting caused them to die to themselves. You ever prayed straight for 10 days? I guarantee you, you do that. You're going to have some dying to self going on there. And in that process that God was processing them in that waiting period, then the Holy Spirit poured out on them. But what this passage of Scripture does not tell us about the gift of the Spirit is that there's a formula to receive it. Can I say that again? Sometimes, especially in the charismatic Pentecostal circles, we have people that go around and tell you, I have a formula to help you get filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, from the first outpouring of the Spirit and consequently throughout the rest of Acts, there is no formula. There is just people who are waiting and receiving from the Lord. It also shows us, it doesn't tell us that they earned this gift. Some people have this in their mindset when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, if I'm good enough, if I'm right enough, if I've lived well enough, well, last time I checked, no one ever earns a gift. If you earn it, it's a wage, not a gift. The father is not a, he's not a boss, he's a father. And he gives good gifts to his children. Looking back at verse 2, it says, Suddenly there came a sound from heaven, the sound of a mighty rushing wind filling the house with this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we read that and it seems so unusual to us. A mighty rushing wind, man, what was that like? Tells us that they heard it. They didn't feel it. They didn't feel the wind. They heard it. And then tongues of fire come upon them. And I think it was such a beautiful symbolic gesture that the Lord did in that upper room at that moment because in Hebrew and in Greek and also in Latin, the, the word for spirit in connection to Holy Spirit is the same word. It's the word for breath and for wind. And for these Jewish men and women who were in the upper room, all 120 of them, the moment they heard a rushing wind, they would think if they knew the Hebrew scriptures, the Holy Spirit has come. The Holy Spirit has come and he is going to breathe on us. This sound of the mighty rushing wind was the sound of the Holy Spirit being poured out on the people. The sound of this mighty rushing wind would have triggered something in their hearts to say, we've read about this but now we're experiencing it. We've read about what God has done in the past. Now we're experiencing it in the presence. Maybe they, they had read Genesis 1, 1 and 2, where it said the Spirit of God, that it says the breath of God, the wind of God, meaning the Holy Spirit. He was breathing over and blowing over the waters of the newly created earth. And maybe they thought that was what that was like in Genesis 1. Maybe, maybe they had read Genesis chapter 2, when it says the breath of God, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit breathed into man and he came to life, a new creation. Maybe they had just read Ezekiel chapter 27, 9 and 10 about the dry bones. And it says the breath of God moved upon the dry bones and they got strength. They got up and they were alive again. That same breath that they read about in the Hebrew scriptures is the same wind and breath that was blowing in the upper room. That they were receiving the outpouring of the Holy Spirit to be empowered to serve the Lord and be a witness and establish his kingdom everything, everywhere they went. Just in that single passage of scripture right here in Acts chapter two, tells us so much 
about how the Holy Spirit moves. Often the Holy Spirit moves suddenly. Now, it might not feel sudden to us because maybe we've been waiting for quite some time. But when the Lord decides, now is the time I'm going to pour out my spirit, it's a sudden moment that he pours out his spirit on us. The Holy Spirit moves. He moves with a sound. That's important. When the Holy Spirit moves, there isn't silence necessarily in it. When the Holy Spirit is pouring out his spirit on people, there's going to be a sound that is released because he moves in a sound. He moves from heaven and he moves with great power. This is the Holy Spirit as he pours out over us. Looking at verse 3 again, it says, And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And that highlights back to us when John the Baptist prophesied when he was baptizing in water. He says, I baptize you in water, but Jesus will baptize you. He says, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and in fire. And in this moment, this picture of fire, anytime you see fire throughout the Old Testament, it was typically a reference to purification. There was a, uh, the Bible often talks about a refiner's fire. When a, when a refiner would refine gold, he would put it in the hottest fire. And it would, the impurities in the gold would boil up and bubble up, and he would skim it off so that there would be pure gold in the fire. It talks about a fire that would burn away the chaff and leave the good stuff to remain, the things that would last, that would be there. The fire would burn up. As also, you look at the Old Testament, and you see that God oftentimes... He would show his special pleasure when the people would sacrifice to him by lighting the fire himself. Think of Ezekiel, uh, of Elijah when he goes up against the prophets of Baal and he calls out fire from heaven and God, the fire burns up the entire sacrifice and the altar and the water and everything in it. And in the upper room in that moment, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, now the Holy Spirit is poured out in fire, not just on a sacrifice on an altar by, by people, to appease God, but it was now poured out on a living sacrifice, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, that you and I, are, that we are to offer up ourselves, our bodies, our very, everything that we are as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is our pure and perfect worship to the Lord. The upper room signifies God's pleasure on the people as they say, I'm going to give you everything, God. And in their sacrifice and in their yielding to the Holy Spirit, in their waiting, that's what yielding is, do you know? No one apparently in Madeira knows how to yield, by the way. But yielding means I'm going to wait because you have the right of way. It's a waiting period. And the Lord said, in your yielding, in your waiting for me, I will pour out my spirit on you. And there will be a moving and a sound released and a power that is going to move in you and cause you to be witnesses and ambassadors for the kingdom of God everywhere you go. That experience of the followers of Jesus on Pentecost is this beautiful example of the Lord pouring out his spirit. But we think, what did that really look like? What was that experience like? All 120, it wasn't just the disciples, it wasn't just the apostles. It was all 120 of them, it said, began to speak in other tongues as the Holy Spirit gave them utterance. What was that like? Well, I want us to look at what the disciples did before that happened and during the filling of the Holy Spirit to kind of elevate our understanding of what was happening in that moment. The disciples were filled in fulfillment of a promise. It was a promise from the Father, and they were filled because of the promise of the Father. They were filled as they received in faith. 
Sometimes when we think about being baptized in the Holy Spirit, we come to salvation through faith. We say, Lord, would you come into my heart and my life? I want to be a follower of you. And in that moment, we believe he enters in and he transforms us, right? But when it comes to the baptism of the Holy Spirit, then we think we've got to jump through all of these hoops and we've got to do all of these different things and we've got to make these different sounds and noises for something to happen in us. But we see throughout Scripture, we see especially in this portion of Scripture that they received it by faith. Meaning they said, you're going to do it. We're waiting here for it. It came. Now we're going to act upon it. We receive it by faith. They were filled in God's timing. Not in their own timing. They were filled as they were together in unity. Unity is an important thing in the body of Christ. Disunity can bring uh, division in the body of Christ. But God does something special when we gather together in unity. They were filled in the anticipation of a good gift from the Father in heaven. They weren't afraid of the gift. Did you ever, do you notice that in scripture? They weren't sitting around like, well, we're waiting, but man, what's this going to be like? What's going to happen to us? Is this thing going to make us do weird things? There's none of that in scripture. Where did that come into our minds? I'll tell you where it came in. When we witnessed and observed things happening, and we don't have an understanding of what's happening. And so we judge based on a perception rather than reality. They didn't anticipate a bad gift from the Father. Everything that comes from the Father, James says, every perfect and good gift comes from God. And so when the God pours out, pours out his spirit, it's a good gift. And it is a wonderful gift from the Lord, the promise of the Holy Spirit. This coming and the filling of the Holy Spirit, in fact, was so good. It was so essential for the work of the community of the early church that Jesus actually said, it's better for me to leave so that you could receive the Holy Spirit. And as this breath of God moved and the fire fell in verse 4, it says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop here. I know we're, we've been walking chapter and verse through Acts, but I'm going to stop for a moment. We'll finish chapter 2 in the next coming weeks. But I want to spend the remainder of our time talking about what the purpose of tongues is in the life of a believer. I want to unpack the rest, of, and, and we'll unpack the rest of the chapter, but I want to do that because this is probably the most controversial and misunderstood topic in the, in the Christian world today. What does it mean to be in power? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues? What is the purpose anyway? Why is it essential? Why is it important? Why is it necessary? Have you ever asked those questions? Well, you're, you came on a good Sunday. Because we're going to jump into it. We're going to tackle it. But the first thing I wanted to, to establish before we jump into this is that when you come into the kingdom of God, when you become a, a follower of Jesus, you become now a son and daughter of the king. And the Bible says you have now been repositioned in a place of authority in the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 8, 27 says, because you are children, if you are children of God, based on adoption belief, by belief in Jesus, you are now heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. We now have a position of authority in the kingdom of God. Ephesians chapter 2 says that we are, we are currently seated with Christ in heavenly places. What does that mean? We have been given or granted a place of authority in the kingdom of God. So whether you like it or not, you have authority as a son or daughter of the most high God. Now, obviously, you're not the highest authority, and that's a good thing. I'm not the highest authority in the kingdom. He is. He's the king of all kings. He's the Lord of all lords. He has granted all dominion, 
all authority, all power. But that doesn't mean that we don't have any authority. In fact, the Lord said to us, I, have, I give you authority. And at the promise of the Holy Spirit, he says, I also now give you power to exercise that authority. Because how many of you know, if authority is not exercised, it does nothing. Can we agree? You can say you have authority, but if you have no power to back it up, that's useless. A parent who doesn't parent their child and their child runs reckless and crazy around the streets, like, I just don't know. know." Maybe because you have not exercised your authority over your child. A police officer who pulls you over and says you've been speeding and you're like, okay, what will you do about it? He's got no gun on the hip. He's got no ability to write you a ticket. He's just like, okay, but slow down. You're like, you take off. There's no authority to establish. There's no power to establish the authority. Think about kings and queens in the Middle Ages. I've used this example before, but it's a good one, so I'll use it again. Many of you haven't heard it. A king or a queen who's granted all authority in a kingdom in the Middle Ages, right? They had their own kingdoms. But they were given that authority, one, to protect the people that were under their care in their kingdom and to bring peace and stability within their community, within their region, within their land. But a king or a queen who didn't, who didn't rule with authority and, a power, and exercise the power in their authority, what happened was they, they allowed chaos to come into their kingdom, and they allowed enemies to attack them and destroy the people they were called to protect. So either they didn't realize the power they had, or they rejected the power altogether. And when they did that, it wouldn't be long before their kingdom, before their people were in danger, where there would be turmoil within the kingdom because the king or the queen failed to take responsibility for the care and the welfare of the people and the land around them. Now, I want you to connect us to that imagery, being a part of the kingdom of God and being granted a seat with Christ in heavenly places, that God has called us to establish his kingdom as ambassadors as priests and kings, to establish his kingdom in places that he has given us authority. We've been granted authority in the kingdom of God, serving the king of kings, where he has called us to rule and to establish his kingdom here on earth. The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.9 that we are a chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we might proclaim his excellencies. What does that mean? That we might witness of who he is. That we might declare with authority and power the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That we might proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. You and I have been given authority and power to establish God's rule on the earth, but it's not through our own power, not through our own will, but it's by the will of God and the power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. And the the problem is, church, that if we neglect the power of the Holy Spirit, we misunderstand it, or if we reject it altogether because it doesn't come in the package we want and it doesn't do what we want it to do, then we are taking, we're not taking responsibility that has been given to us to care for the people around us to establish the kingdom of God everywhere that we go. And what happens is we reject the power of God and then we say, God, won't you save my family? God, won't you save my friends? And God's saying, I gave you authority and power to represent my kingdom where you're at, not someone else, you. And the problem is the church is we, we say, okay, I don't think I have authority and I definitely don't have any power. Because we don't, we, it's not realized in our lives. 
either because we don't know about it, we're, we're, it's misunderstood by us, or we just reject it altogether. Kings and queens in a kingdom that do, that exercise, that do not exercise their authority and their power place their ping, people and their kingdom at jeopardy. So the question then is, how do we as followers of Jesus exercise our authority? Is it by brute force? Certainly not. The Bible says that we don't war with flesh and blood, the principalities and powers. How does that look? What does that look like? It looks like the word of God in the mouths of God's people. To understand that and look at the big biblical principle of what that looks like in the life of believers, we go back to Genesis where God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit exercise their authority over creation by what? Speaking it into existence. God said, Genesis 1, let there be light, and boom, billions of stars in a moment. God spoke these things into existence. Why is that important? Because when we come to God, when we realize how God has created us, it says something to us about how we're supposed to exercise his kingdom and authority in the world today. We look at Genesis 1, 26, where God said, let us, talking to the Father, Son, and Spirit talking together, said, let us make humanity in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion, let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that's on the earth. So we were created in the image and the likeness of God and given the same creative power to rule as God said. But then our first father, Adam, and his wife Eve decided to give their authority away. And with giving their authority away, they also relinquished the intimacy they had with the Father, Son, and Spirit, and thus the power of God began to lift off of their lives too. Because God said, I can't dwell with you in these moments. But Jesus... He came not only to set us free from our sin, but to give us a place, our place of authority back in him again. The authority that was given away in our rebellion, Jesus says, no, I'm going to bring you back in. I'm going to adopt you back into the family of God. And if you are now adopted, you are children of God. If you are children, then you are heirs, and you are co-heirs with Jesus. I want, I want you to write this down, because I think this is a powerful statement. That authority without power to back it up is useless. And power without authority is reckless. But Jesus in his sovereignty first gave us authority at salvation. And then he fills us with his spirit at, the, at spirit baptism. That authority comes first, salvation comes first, then power comes second. Because God doesn't have it twisted backwards and upside down. He's not going to give us power over the enemy without first understanding our authority and our place in the family of God. It's power. It's, it's, it's a power that follows authority. It's salvation. Then it's baptism of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. So we are created in the image of God, and he demonstrated what it would look like to exercise that authority. It says it's going to be demonstrated. It's going to be exercised through a people who will pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways. We look at Proverbs 18, 21. It tells us that life and death are in the power of the tongue. You read the book of James. He talks about how can salt water and fresh water flow out of the same mouth? How can blessings and cursings? Do you know what you speak has power? And now I'm not, I'm not talking about the new age trash of speak it and claim it and you can have it. I'm not talking about that. 
I'm not talking about manifesting your own destiny with the, the whatever you want to say and just say it 15 times a day and it's just going to appear to you. No, that's demonic. But I am saying that we have the authority to exercise the authority of Jesus by looking at his words and declaring what he says over our families, over our community, over our lives. So our words have power. And the people of God should not have cursings and blessings flowing out of our mouth. There's power in the, in the tongue. And the authority of the kingdom is, is established through the word. And the power is exercised through the word. That's why we believe in the power of prayer. And when we cry out to the Father in heaven that our prayers are answered and mountains can be moved when the people of God pray. But the challenge is, often we don't know what to pray and we don't know how to pray. So we know that there is authority to pray over situations and we know that there, there is power to have it, but there's a limitation, our own intellect. There's a limitation, our own ability to speak. There's a limitation. But thank God that he has the wisdom and the foreknowledge to give us something to go beyond our intellect and our understanding to pray in a language that he would give us to fulfill his kingdom here on earth. Power is exercised in prayer, but we hit a wall. We hit a wall and our own power is limited. It's limited in exercising all the authority that God has granted us in his kingdom. But the good news is Jesus asked the Father to send us a helper, the promise of the Holy Spirit that would empower us to do the work of the ministry. Jesus said, I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. So he knew the task at hand needed the power of the Holy Spirit to be successful. And at that first outpouring in the upper room, the power was demonstrated as they spoke in tongues. Why is that important? Because the, a believer's authority is expressed by the word spoken. So now I want to talk about speaking in tongues. What was the purpose of it? What are the types of it? I believe that there are four types or four purposes of the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues in various languages. And oftentimes what happens is when we go to Scripture, we don't understand that there are varying types of tongues. And so we get confused when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, do all speak in tongues? And we think, well, I guess that not every, it's not for everybody. Because, because Paul says, do everybody do it? And obviously he's saying in a corporate setting, and, he's, and it's a rhetorical question. The answer should be no. But he's talking about a public ministry to the corporate body of Christ. And so I want to break down to us these, these things. And I got a whiteboard so you know I'm serious. There are four types. We're going to call two of them public, and then two of them are private. So when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 30, do all speak in tongues, he's talking, about, he's talking to a corporate body about things that are going on that are haywire, and he's talking about a public display of tongues. So when I speak of public, I mean ministry to others or to even, even to an individual. When I speak of private, I mean something that helps you to build closeness and intimacy with God that only you and God know. That, that God is working inside of you, something that is increasing your intimacy, 
or allowing you to intercede for the need of someone else according to his will that you know nothing about. And again, as a side note, we mentioned about it over the last couple of weeks, but if you are saved, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. Right? There's been confusion that people have made this stipulation that you're not really saved unless you speak in tongues. Well, they haven't read their Bibles because the Holy Spirit was given by Jesus to his disciples at the end of John chapter 20, the night of his resurrection, when he said he breathed on them. You see the imagery again. He says, receive the Holy Spirit, and they at that moment received salvation. Then he said, now wait for a secondary outpouring of the Holy Spirit. That's called the baptism, and it's going to empower you to do the work. So at salvation, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you when you confess Christ as your Lord and Savior, and then you have the empowering of the Holy Spirit for service when you receive the secondary baptism of the Holy Spirit. Again, the first type of tongue that I want to talk about is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 22. I think I have that somewhere up there. It says... Therefore, tongues are a sign not for those who believe, but to unbelievers. Paul's writing about what happens when the Holy Spirit transcends intellect and gives us the ability to speak in another tongue that is, that is known in this world. It's an earthly language, but it's unknown to the person who's speaking it. That's what he writes about. That's what actually what we see in, in Acts chapter 2. In the upper room, they all start speaking in tongues as the Holy Spirit gives utterance, and in verse 5, it begins, it says, now they were dwelling in Jerusalem. But that word dwelling means they were traveling too. They were camping in Jerusalem because they were all there for Pentecost. People from all over the, the known world at that time that were Jewish or proselytes who had converted to Judaism, they would travel to, to Jerusalem for Pentecost to celebrate the feast. And they would travel primarily because the weather was really good during that time. So when God was going to pour out his spirit, he chose a really good time because there's going to be a lot of people there. And it says that they were dwelling Jews, devout men who, from every nation under heaven. And at, the sound, at this sound, they heard a multitude, they came together. They were bewildered because each one of them were, he was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galilean? And now we hear each in his own language, our native language, or a tongue in a native language. Parthenians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and the parts of Libya uh, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our languages, tongues, in our own tongue, the mighty works of God. These men and women from various nations heard these Jewish men speaking their native languages and it served as a witness to them that, that God was at work in those who belonged to Jesus. This is what he's talking about, a public work, tongues, not for believers, but for unbelievers as a witness. I've shared this story before. My dad told it to me and I'll tell it to you. When he was in high school, they had a foreign exchange student come in from the United Kingdom and like all good Christian teenagers, they would invite, he invited his friend to church. And it was on a Sunday night, right? A Monday night. You guys had church every night. Uh, good Pentecostal church. He invited his friend out. 
And if you grow up in a Pentecostal church, when you invite your friends to church, what are you praying? God, don't let nothing weird happen. Don't let no people go jump around, get crazy. Just let, let it be a cool, calm service and just let this kid know you and that's it, right? So my dad's sitting there with him. And as they're worshiping and things quiet down, a lady begins to pray in tongues. And my dad's like, oh, no. Oh, no. And his friend that he invited, the, the exchange student from the UK, begins to turn around and look. And he's looking at my dad's like, oh, man. And he looks at my dad. He says, do you know what she's saying? <laughs> he was Scottish. I don't know if he was or not. No, he wasn't. He was actually Welsh. But that's the best I can do. My dad says, no. He goes, why? He's like, because I know what she's saying. And what happened in that moment in this small little town, McKinleyville, California, God poured out his spirit in a room full of people who were seeking his face for this exchange student who flew halfway around the world to sit and to hear this lady speak in a dialect, a, a, a dead Welsh language that his grandparents would speak to him, but no one else knew that language. And God began to say, I'm going to show this boy that I'm here and that I love him. He says, what is she saying? He says, she's declaring the praises of God. What they heard in Acts chapter 2, this young man from the UK heard in a small church in McKinleyville, California. That's the demonstration that tongues is for unbelievers and not believers when God gives us an earthly language that we don't know but someone in our midst might know. And God uses it as a testimony of his goodness and his love and his grace. That's the first type. The second type of public tongues that we see is a tongue that we would experience and oftentimes we experience on a Sunday morning. It's tongues and interpretation of tongues. Well, someone will stand up and they'll begin to pray out loudly in a heavenly language. No one, it's not an earthly language. We don't know what they're saying. But as we wait on the Lord, the Holy Spirit gives the interpretation of it. And that's what Paul talks about. The second tongue in 1 Corinthians 12, where he says, what's the verse? 10. That's where he said, he's talking about the different gifts that are given to people in the, in the community, in the body of Christ. And he says, to another, different kinds of tongues, and to another, the interpretation of tongues. What is he talking about? He's talking about a heavenly language that has to be interpreted. It's not for somebody who might know some language that no one else knows. It's a heavenly language, and we will experience that. The Holy Spirit will pour out his spirit, and, a, and, and someone will be impressed by the Holy Spirit, begin to speak out because they've been given that corporate gift for the body of Christ. This is the type of tongues that Paul is speaking about. That's when he says, do all speak in tongues? No, we, we don't need everybody to have that gift in the body of Christ. We'd be here forever. People would be given a tongue and then an interpretation and a tongue and an interpretation and a tongue. And we'd just be like, man, service is never going to end. That's why Paul's saying, does everybody need to do this? No, we don't need to all do that. But that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a corporate gift, a public gift for ministry to others. There's that distinction there. So when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 14, 22 and 23, he says, thus tongues 
are a sign not for believers but unbelievers, while prophecy is a sign not for unbelievers but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say they're out of their minds? Paul isn't contradicting himself here. He's noting the difference in the public ministries of tongues. He's saying the first is an earthly language unknown to the speaker but known to the hearer, and the second is a heavenly language that must be interpreted. And if unbelievers or people who are unfamiliar with tongues come into the church where everyone is just speaking in a heavenly language that no one understands, they'll think we're nuts. And the problem is churches are operating in that way, and people do think they're nuts because they're not following the, the biblical understanding of what tongues are for. And so we have a bunch of people who have the gift of private prayer language that have been given to them that is available for all believers, and they're just gathering and praying, and we have unbelievers that walk in and are like, okay, never mind, and they walk right out because there's no understanding. I think Scripture is clear on this, that tongues were given not to bring confusion but to draw the hearer closer to Jesus when it's used publicly. And the public gifts... Tongues and interpretation of tongues, or tongues that is not known by the speaker, but it's known by the hearer. That's to draw unbelievers in. And if it doesn't, then we're probably using our private form of tongues in a public setting that can bring confusion and can mix people up. So what does that mean? That means that we, as followers of Jesus, have to use wisdom and discretion to ask ourselves, are there unbelievers in our midst? Are there people who might be uninformed biblically? I don't want to bring confusion to them. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't pray in tongues publicly if you're praying in your private prayer language. I'm just saying you need to be mindful. And you don't, we don't need to be extravagant in it when we are mixed with people who might not know what's going on. Because ultimately, it's not about us. It's about Him and the Father and the Son and the Spirit receiving praise and honor. We don't want to bring an unnecessary barrier between people and experiencing the love of God. Does that make sense? But we pray in the Spirit all the time. I pray in the Spirit as often as I can. And when we, even when we gather here, I'm praying in the Spirit, but you just don't have to hear about it. I'm still, I'm, if you come up to me, you'll probably hear it. I'm not saying it under my breath, but I'm being mindful of those who might be in our midst. It's called using wisdom. So let's talk about the two private forms of tongues. Right? The private forms. This is what Paul talks about is a prayer language. This is 1 Corinthians 14. That starts in verse 14 and 15. This is what Paul says. For if I pray in a tongue and my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do then? I will pray with my spirit, but I also pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I also sing with my mind also. Paul isn't talking about a public form of tongues now. He's talking about a private form that builds us up as we pray in it. It's a private prayer language for edification and to be built up in our faith. Remember, we're talking about authority in the kingdom of God. We've been given authority. We've been given power through the words that we speak, both in a language we know and a language we don't know through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul says, I pray in the Spirit and I pray with understanding. I sing in the Spirit and I sing with understanding because I want to exercise the authority of the kingdom. When we pray in the Spirit, the, pray, 
the, the Spirit begins to pray through us the perfect will of God through us, for us, and also for others. He goes beyond our understanding, our own limitations, and what we to pray for, even for ourselves. You know that there are things that, that are going on inside of you that you don't understand? How many of you have said this? I just did something. I don't even know why I did it. I don't know how I lost my cool there. I don't know why I said those words. Uh, uh, what's going on inside of me? Well, when you're filled with the Holy Spirit and you, you begin to pray in other, in, in, in other tongues with a private prayer language, the Holy Spirit begins to pray for you in ways you don't even know how to pray for yourself. The Holy Spirit intercedes for you and prays for you. Friend, we need that. Not any one of us are like, no, nah, I'm good. I know how to pray for myself perfectly. I know exactly what's going on inside of me at all times. No, the Holy Spirit knows you better than you know yourself. And he wants to build you up in the faith. So when we pray in the Spirit, that's exactly what's happening. He begins to pray for things that are going on inside of you that you don't even know that's going on inside of you. Things you don't know how to pray for, the Holy Spirit steps in. And as you pray in the Spirit, He begins to pray for you, through you. That's powerful. What a beautiful gift God's given us. When we pray in the Spirit, the Holy Spirit asks the Father to work in us on our behalf. What a beautiful, intimate relationship we've got with God. God loves us so much that he says, I know that you're, you have failings and you, you have issues, so I, I want to do this in your life. But you don't know how to pray for it. You don't know how to ask for it. So I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit who will pray through you to me so that I can answer what needs to be done in your life. That's powerful. That's how much he loves us. Gift, the, the gift of tongues is not weird. It's beautiful. And it's doing so much in the lives of the believers if we will receive it. That's why Paul writes 1 Corinthians 14 too, He who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men but to God. He's talking about your private prayer language. When you're alone with the Lord and you're saying, you just begin to pray out in tongue, man. God is saying, you're talking directly to me. You're praying the perfect will. My perfect will back to me. Wow. Now something the enemy can't interpret. He doesn't understand it. That's why he hates it so much. Why is tongues so fought against even in the church is because the enemy wants the church divided on this topic. He doesn't want the church to realize their authority and he doesn't want us to realize the power we've been given in the Holy Spirit. And so he brings confusion and division and we people say, no, I don't need that. I don't understand it. I don't want it. And the, and the enemy is going, good, because I want to know everything that you're saying. And the Lord says, no, I've given you a secret weapon. It's called the Holy Spirit. And I want to pray through you. And I want to pray for you. That's powerful. And not only does he pray for us and build us up in the faith as we pray. Paul says those who pray in, the tongue, in tongues edifies themselves. But he also prays for others. Called intercession. The Holy Spirit will pray through us for people around the world that we don't even know. That you can be praying in your own private time and then something comes over. You just feel this. It's, we used to call it unction. You would feel this burden, and you would allow the Holy Spirit to pray through you, and he would begin to intercede for people around the world. That's what Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 26, says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So there are four types 
but they're obviously closely related. And these two, the private, there's not much distinction there. There's not much, either you believe you can receive it or you don't. But the big confusion comes in when it comes to the public stuff that Paul wrote about. When he's writing about tongues for a, a language that the speaker doesn't know but the hearer does know. We think, well, it's for unbelievers and you have to be able to, you, you, you got to instantly speak in Spanish fluently if you don't know it. And that's, that's the gift of tongues. And, and, and granted, I'm asking for that. I'm trying to learn by Babel right now. It's going slow. Aprendo español, pero es no bueno. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not flowing the way it should. I want it to, but it's, it's, I'm like, Lord, I need this gift. I need this public gift. I would love to have that. But the Lord's like, you need to learn. All right, so I need to do that, right? And then the tongues and interpretation, not everybody has it. But there's a bigger confusion here in the body of Christ relating to the public ministry. And because we don't understand this, we don't get this. Because we don't understand how it's supposed to operate in public, we just say it's not for me in the private. And so people turn it off because we don't understand the scripture. We're misinformed. Or we've seen it abused and we think, I don't like that. And so instead of receiving the gift of the Father based on how others have used it, we, 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 instead of receiving it based on what the Word says, we deny it because of how others have used it. Let me say it that way. We, we can look at the Word and say, wow, that's really cool, but I've seen people abuse things over here, so I would just rather not go there. And we miss out on the authority and the power of God in our lives. Church, I'm here to tell you that the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for you. That you would be empowered by the Spirit of God to exercise the authority in the kingdom of God that you've been given over the, the sphere of influence that he has called you to. That God's not going to send anybody else to your family when you're there to be a witness. God says, I've given you authority. Now begin to take authority. I've given you power, and I begin to walk out in power. But church, we have to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the free gift given to us that we receive by faith, not that we've earned it, not that we're good enough for it, but because it was a promise from the Father, and the promise of the Father is always fulfilled by the Father. It's a gift that has been given, and has not, he has not stopped giving it. In the same way that it's, salvation is a gift that he has not stopped giving. When the Bible was completed, when the canon was complete, did salvation stop? No, it continued. And so also the blessing and the promise of the Father of Spirit baptism also continues for the body of Christ. So we need to receive it as a free gift. Now, do I believe that you can be baptized in the Holy Spirit and not speak in tongues? Do I believe that? Yes, I do. But, and this is a big but here. I also believe that if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you have the ability to speak in tongues, and you should, because we talk about authority and power. Why be baptized in the Holy Spirit and then not use that power of the Holy Spirit to exercise the authority of the kingdom of God to establish the kingdom of God? Does that make any sense? Why go into war with a loaded gun and never use it to protect yourself or the people around you? Maybe that's a crude example, but it's accurate. We're in a war. It's called spiritual warfare, and the enemy is going around tackling and taking people out all around you, and you're going, but I don't like, I don't know if I want to make those noises. 
I don't know if I want to be used like that. Friend, we become followers of Jesus not for ourselves only, but we are empowered to serve, to love, to, to, to bless, and to carry others in prayer. There's something there that we're missing. Can you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues? Yes, but why would you want to? I read this analogy by John Brevere. He said, being baptized in the Holy Spirit is like two people who walk into a river. One chooses to stand in the river and allow the water to move around them, and the other chooses to yield to the water and allow the current to carry them downstream. Both are in the river, but only one is yielding to the move of it. The same is true for speaking in tongues when you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. You have to choose to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through you. And it's not a head thing. It's something that you feel and allow the Holy Spirit to move through you. So today, I want to give the opportunity for anyone who wants to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to come forward and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit with evidence of speaking in tongues. I want to give the opportunity for it. And when, you begin to, when we begin to pray, what's going to happen is we're going to gather you up here. We're going to lay hands on you if you want to receive. And it might be a powerful, once just powerful move of God on your life, and you might just begin to flow out effortlessly. Or it might begin to begin as a trickle that as you are receiving it in faith, you allow it to begin to flow out of you. And you might feel it here. That's how I feel it. But you might have a, a phrase might come to mind, a, 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 a syllable or a sound, and you might think, I don't, I'm just, well, step out in faith and I'll let that sound out and see what happens. You're not making it up. You're just trying to receive it by faith. So that might come that way too. I'm not going to put a formula on it, what it's going to look like for you, what it's going to feel like. But when you ask the Father for the promise, He is the one who fulfills His promises. He is the Spirit baptizer. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Spirit baptizer. And if you want to receive, friend, I want you to receive today. I'm believing that the timing is right. It's in God's timing and it's in His purpose, but I believe that the timing is right today. Thanks for listening to this message. To hear more messages like this one, be sure to subscribe to our podcast channel where you'll hear past episodes. If you like what you hear, be sure to rate it and share it with friends. It'll help us out a lot. If you're interested in supporting the ministry of Central Valley Church, go to cbcmadera.com and click on the giving link. We love you. God bless.